From Schwartz Media, I'm Daniel James, and this is the Fight for a Voice, a special series from 7am. The Yes campaign set out to accomplish a rare feat in Australian politics, to win a majority of Australians and a majority of states to win a referendum. It's a difficult task to begin with, and it's only become more difficult as bipartisanship was lost and the polls turned. But this is a grassroots campaign with tens of thousands of volunteers attempting to overcome the headwinds with face-to-face and door-to-door conversations. So how was the campaign built and can it really overcome the huge challenge in time for polling day? This is episode three, Inside the Case for Yes. Yeah, brother. Good. Yeah. So, for the record, what's your name? Thomas Mayo. M A Y O. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what role um, have you got in the campaign for Yes? What's your what's what was how would you describe your role? Uh, I'm a director on the board for. Australians for Indigenous Constitutional Recognition that runs the Yes campaign and I'm a spokesperson for the Yes campaign. I've known Thomas Mayo since the release of his first book, which attempted to explain how the Uluru Statement from the Heart came to be. The processes, the people and the outcome. Gradually, over time, he's become one of the central faces of the Yes campaign. A position that he and others may not have seen coming, but it's a turn of events he has embraced and thrown himself into. Can you kind of give us uh, sort of an indication of how the infrastructure around Yes23 was built and what were some of the challenges in terms of engaging volunteers and building all the materials that you need to to get the message out there, including advertising campaigns? Well, it just took an incredible amount of hard work uh, and sacrifice uh, by a whole lot of people that believe in this. Uh, that is how the campaign has been built. You know, in the early days there, uh, when it was almost immediately dismissed uh, back in 2017, uh, there were no funds for uh, or resources to, to run a national campaign to help Indigenous people understand, uh, you know, the thinking and the logic and the history behind the consensus to seek a constitutionally enshrined voice Um, to get out there and help the rest of the country understand. I was probably maybe more of an optimist than others because I have worked on this full time for six years and I have seen the goodwill across all different types of Australian communities, rural, regional, remote. And learning that these dialogues would culminate in a sacred place in the heart of the country at Uluru. Now, as a unionist, comrades, I thought here is an opportunity for us to build power. So I always knew that we could build this into the biggest movement for change that this country has ever seen. Power of consensus, something that we could fight for to change that ineffectiveness that I felt in our activism. And we are seeing that now. Um, So it's been a, a wonderful transition from 
a few of us running around the country feeling like we were those loonies that were, you know, starting a movement. If you've ever seen that TED talk where the guy's dancing on the hill, you know, yeah, alone, yeah, and then yeah, a couple yeah. of people join him, and the next thing you know, there's this whole hill covered in people doing the dance. Um, you know, I felt like that lonely guy at, at times. You've been in the thick of the campaign now for months, really, you know, well before the official announcement of the campaign. Tell me what it's like for you right now. What's your sense of the campaign? How do you think it's going? What needs to be overcome if um, people are going to vote yes? So my feeling right now, uh, since the commitment uh, last year from the Albanese government to go to this referendum, and working furiously, not just behind the scenes, but obviously from the front line. Um, and then seeing the, the great momentum we are getting in these final weeks, I'm feeling positive uh, and I'm, uh, I have a fire in my belly to work every day until this is done. Uh, we have um, over 35,000 volunteers. Thousands march, voicing support for yes. We're holding over 700 campaign activities every week. And this, the first of a national series of rallies in Adelaide for the Yes campaign. Yes! The chorus for change bolstered in Sydney by rock stars and football royalty. One thing is clear since the commencement of the formal campaign. It's that the Yes side not only has corporate support and political support, but perhaps more importantly, it has people power. People to door knock, cold call, organise events and hand out leaflets at train stations on frosty mornings. It is the Yes campaign's greatest asset, but will it be enough to arrest the continued slide in the polls? This marks the lowest level of support so far. We've seen declining support for yes and increasing support for no through the year. Support now, for the voice to parliament continues to dwindle just a week out from the referendum according to... Whether the yes campaign succeeds or not, it won't be from a lack of trying. One of the places Thomas has visited is the electorate of Kuyong in Melbourne's leafy eastern suburbs. It's the seat where a sitting treasurer in a blue ribbon Liberal seat was deposed at the last federal election. A place where a grassroots people-centric campaign worked. I don't want any thoughts on the baggers' chance uh, on Sunday, but it should be right. Actually, I'm actually... To get a sense whether a similar campaign for yes would work in till seats like Kuyong, I had a yarn with the person who invited Thomas there to speak to her constituents, Dr Monique Ryan, the independent MP. Uh, my name is Monique Ryan. I'm the independent federal member for the seat of Kuyong in Victoria. Ryan has once again galvanised the movement of people, which led to her success at the May 2022 federal election behind the Yes campaign. We have 450 volunteers at this point, uh, but we're having more and more every week. We've already knocked on more than 11,000 doors. We've put out over, I think, 1,100 core flutes already. So it, it's taken a real commitment. But people have told us they want us to do it, and we felt that someone has to do it. It is a people-powered movement, uh, which really reflects, at least in my community, the values of the community. What do you think the chances are of the voice getting up? I don't know what the chances of the voice getting up are at this point in time. I suspect that the... Uh, the polls that have been done don't reflect the whole population. I, I don't think that they're capturing the young people. And yeah. I think the young people are incredibly critical to this. 
I think it's been extremely disappointing how the voice has been politicised and the fact that we don't have bipartisan support from it in Australian Parliament. It was very clear early in the year that Mr Dutton was uh, a politician searching for a platform. It should be very clear to Australians by now that the Prime Minister is dividing our country and the Liberal Party seeks to unite our country. We want to make sure that we can get the best possible... He was looking for means by which to take the government on. ...practical outcomes for Indigenous people on the ground, but there was a resounding no to the Prime Minister's Canberra voice. I don't believe that he's opposing the voice because of any intrinsic values-based decisions. I think this is a, a political decision that he's made. Is the way the conversation has had just as instructive about who we are as the result? I think the way the conversation is being had reflects society today. It reflects the extent to which it's fragmented. It reflects the way, the ways in which we communicate with each other and how divisive they've become over time. But it would be a great, great shame if those things stop us from voting yes on October the 14th, because we will be a better, happier and more cohesive country if we vote yes. I know which side of history I'd like to be on. It is undecided voters that Yes campaigners believe can widen the narrow path towards victory. It's a challenge Mayo was acutely aware of at the time of our conversation. That's our great opportunity, is reaching them first, having that conversation, pointing out the truth of this that I told you about. Um, and, uh, and I believe, I'm an optimist. I was in Brisbane for that walk there. What really stood out, I think, was this brightening of the mood as more and more people rolled in and the numbers just exceeded all expectations. How are we going to vote? Yes! How are we going to vote? Yes! How are we going to vote? Yes! The day before we were expecting 5,000, we had, you know, at least 20,000 walking in Brisbane. People of all ages, people of many different backgrounds, you know, and from different demographics. Yeah. Uh, it, was, um, it was a wonderful moment of unity. Throughout the campaign, the Conservative No side, with the aid of huge swathes of the media, have been very effective at muddying the waters around the Uluru Statement from the heart, what it is and what it isn't offering. The scale of the debate the trouble of changing the Constitution has led many to equate the change itself as being some sort of rewriting of the Constitution itself. Something that, if not done carefully, could have unintended consequences. It's why the more detail required messaging from the No campaign initially resonated so strongly. Australians, I think, are reasonably saying if we're going to be asked to vote for constitutional change, which enshrines an arrangement, we should know what the arrangement is. I am genuinely... But the offering of the Uluru Statement is a humble one, an offering that constitutional law experts from across the country say won't have a negative impact on the nation's founding document. What goes before the Australian people in this referendum is the simple idea of a national advisory body incorporated into the Constitution as an act of recognition of our First Peoples and thus of our own continental history and national identity. The debate is big. What's on the table is small. Is, is that part of the challenge as well, is just getting the message that this is actually a very simple, humble offering that, if it goes ahead, strengthens our democracy? Yeah, look, it is um, humble and it is modest. 
but what needs to be considered there is that it, it's modest, but it's going to be strong enough to make the changes that we need to see. That is to get better outcomes in housing, in health and education and employment for Indigenous peoples to really provide a better future for our children. Um, because advice coming from the people that are most affected through representatives that they choose, yep. not representatives that political parties choose, like the country Liberal Party, you know, um, selected uh, Senator Price, for example, and her loyalty is with her political party uh, and whoever funds her campaigns. Uh, we don't want politicians speaking for us. And so when we are able to choose representatives and those representatives are accountable to their communities and those representatives understand their culture and the issues because they live and breathe them every day, then that advice is going to be powerful in the sense that should politicians choose to ignore that advice, and they can, it's an advisory body, but then the Australian people will see that that advice has come from those representatives and those communities and that if things get worse when that advice is ignored, then politicians will be judged in our democracy at elections. Coming up, how the misinformation campaign is affecting the people who've put their lives into yes. Hi, I'm Benjamin Law, one of the journalists from the highly acclaimed podcast by the powerhouse, 100 Climate Conversations. Join us as we speak to 100 Australians like Simon Holmes-Accord, Vinas Ajwala and Ronnie Khan, who are responding to climate change issues across clean energy, green manufacturing, food waste and more. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash newsletters. Referendums are hard to win in even the most pristine of political environments. A reminder, of the 44 held since Federation, only eight have been successful. It is why so much hinged on the position Peter Dutton took, when he decided to oppose it and then mischaracterise it as a Canberra voice, run by elites. It wasn't a surprise, but it was no less deflating. Not only for the prospective outcome of the referendum itself, but the way the debate would be conducted in the lead-up to polling day. It's been heated, often hyperbolic, and at times Trumpian, and has helped see support for The Voice slide from 70% to now lagging in almost every state around the country. Did you expect, I mean, once once Peter Dutton and uh, David Lidenbrowd had committed both their respective parties to coming out against The Voice, did you expect the debate to be as hostile and vitriolic as it has been to date? Look, um... The level of the um, vitriol uh, and the quantity of it 
has been shocking. Oh, I don't know if Australia has any, ever seen anything like this before in a campaign. Um, it has been hurtful, it has been damaging, um, and we all handle these things different. So, you know, I have great concerns um, for my community, yeah. um, for fellow Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but also those volunteers um, that are occasionally being uh, attacked by, uh, you know, people that are actually, I think, quite easily led to fear um, the lies, you know, uh, on based on these lies that the No campaign are spreading. And they're spreading them through, you know, duplicitous ways, you know, uh, sponsoring Facebook pages that tell non-Indigenous Australians that, you know, they're going to lose something, tell, uh, while at the same time sponsoring pages that are telling uh, Indigenous Australians that it's not enough and, and that they're going to lose something like uh, their sovereignty or their land as well. The online and real-world trolling has impacted most people wanting to engage in a meaningful dialogue on the referendum, but least of all Mayo himself. I don't know if you saw the ad in the Australian Financial Review uh, or if you've uh, seen uh, the social media. In one instance, in an ad published in the Australian Financial Review, the paper Actual Elites Read, he was depicted as a child in rags begging for money from a rich white man, something that nine newspapers had to apologise for printing. All the way through the campaign, even before its official launch, the vitriol, racist or otherwise, towards Mayo and others has been unrelenting, full of conspiracy theories, misinformation and racial stereotyping. Uh, People seem to think that I'm not even Indigenous based on a poorly worded article some time ago um, by someone else. Uh, It really has been, um, you know, quite ridiculous uh, the way that they try and discredit you. But, you know, I can only stand in my truth and stand up for my beliefs. The conservative attacks on the voice as being constituted by elites forget two things. It was First Nations people who were asked to undertake an extensive consultation process around constitutional reform in 2015 by then Prime Minister Tony Abbott. Now one of the No campaign's most ardent culture warriors, albeit with selective amnesia. Secondly, The Uluru Statement was and remains an offering from First Nations communities from all over the country. And so I wanted to talk to Megan Davis, someone who had been intimately involved in that whole process, to understand just how the criticism had come about and how it was impacting the campaign. That deeply worries me as a public lawyer, that what's happened here where even Dutton said no before seeing detail. I think it's really worrying that professional political parties and politicians can say no to things that they haven't actually seen and assessed. There's a real alignment with that Trumpian playbook, in particular the kind of attempts that they've made to try and just say, look, this is an elitist academic model, which is about the kind of smearing of people like myself and Marcia Langton and Noel Pearson and others who contributed to the process. I think it's really disrespectful to the agency of those men and women who participated in the dialogues and the hundreds and thousands of people who sit behind them in communities. But that's the playbook, right? You you create this um, narrative that it's all elites and it's all Canberra-based um, and that's all you have to do. That's it. There's kind of an ex- existential threat during this campaign from the referendum that goes 
simply beyond the yes and no question itself, isn't there? A hundred percent. Many will be asking over the next couple of weeks about the impact of this upon the electoral integrity of Australia. Um, I think that's a really important question to, to be, you know, to be discussed and debated now. Um, and in particular, just in this day and age, the failure to have that brochure, the plant pamphlet that's gone out to every letterbox, fact-checked. I mean, it's extraordinary in 2023 that it's not fact-checked um, and yeah. that that you allow misinformation to just be, with, the, with an AEC stamp, just be delivered to every single letterbox across the continent. And um, I think the misinformation and the disinformation has really taken a hit on our yeses, but there's been a softening of that support as the um, kind of really ridiculous lies and scenarios have just been allowed to, well, as you know, I blame a lot of mainstream media for this because they've just been passive conduits of it. Um, How are you feeling about the prospects of the Yes campaign being successful? And if it is, what will Australia look like the day after? And if it's not, what will Australia look like if this goes down? Um, I think that the day after the referendum you know, it's it's a new day for Australia. They've, you know, there's been formal recognition of First Nations peoples as the first peoples of this continent. That's an extraordinary development for our people and the well-being and the feeling of belonging and inclusiveness um, within that Australian system. And it, it will be an exciting time for our people because especially those who never get to talk much, the ones that or never get to talk to media and things like that, they actually will will have a voice. Like we start working towards the process that enables our people to design it, you know, and then put that design into parliament and our mob know what what our legislation looks like when you put it into parliament. It's a long road after that. But, geez, what, what bloody hope and optimism and everyone will be elated. It will be such an incredible feeling, Um to be that kind of inclusive country that 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 provided this voice to the parliament, the day after, if it doesn't succeed, is um, is effectively an endorsement of the status quo. That's what you wake up to is business as usual. No matter how steep the uphill climb to victory in Saturday's referendum, the only thing to do is keep forging the path forward, no matter how narrow it may be. Mayo has been traversing the country for months and will continue to do so until Australia makes its decision. He's all in. The day we met, he was to head straight off to the airport where he would fly to Perth. But I wanted to ask him before he left if he's afraid of failure. What would happen if Australia votes no? Well, actually, I was just thinking that's what I should have also said is the contrast. You know, the contrast between yes and no. Yes um, makes it possible. Yes uh, tries something different where nothing has worked to close the gap before. Yes establishes a voice. Uh, in a way that is guaranteed because we understand that every voice Indigenous people have established before that has made progress for our people has been silenced and when we don't have a voice we go backwards. So yes, makes it possible because we are learning those lessons and we are trying something different. Whereas no is a status quo and the status quo is no good for anyone. Not for Australians that, you know, um, the whole world sees that we have proportionately the most incarcerated people on the planet, that our uh, Indigenous Australians have twice, more than twice the rate of suicide, uh, that have um, a life expectancy of almost 10 years less. You know, no is accepting that as 
uh, how we do things. No is accepting that um, these actual statistics in some areas are getting worse. You know, so, you know, no is just status quo uh, and, um, and not good enough, whereas yes makes it possible. And how would you feel on October 15th if you wake up and it's been defeated? Try and get some emotional from you, some emotional from you, <laughs> brother. Like it would, from from my perspective, I would be, I'm going to be fucking hugely deflated, right? Yeah. I don't have, I don't have as much skin in the game as you do. I'm, I'm not going around the countryside. I'm not putting my life on hold like you are. How would it feel if well, you wake up and fucking hell? When you damn. first asked that question, I was thinking, how would I feel if we win? Not how will I feel if we lose? I'm not contemplating losing. This is too important. There comes a point, I think, for all of us, where we need to decide to believe in ourselves, believe in our families, believe in our community, believe in this country. Mm. And this is that moment, and I am choosing to believe that we can do this, and I'm imagining, uh, I don't know if this is um, out there, but I'm imagining sitting on my couch uh, that night, but I don't think I will be, I think I'll be Somewhere. somewhere. I'll be doing um, how to vote somewhere, <laughs> uh, um, wherever the campaign sends me. But um, uh, I will be um, just over the moon that we have set this country on the course to what the vision ultimately is here. A stronger, more reconciled nation, but a nation that does not have this gap anymore. That's what I want to see. The stakes are high. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Thank you. There are very few writers whose work just seems to get better and better with each new novel they write. But, for my mind, Irish writer Anne Enright is one of them. On this week's Read This, I sit and talk with Anne about her new book, The Wren, The Wren. Find it wherever you listen. Tomorrow on The Fight for a Voice, we go inside the conservative case against the voice. Where did it come from? Who benefits? And what does it mean for the nature of political debate in this country? I'm Daniel James. I'll see you tomorrow.